Welcome to another podcast from the BCC team. Our aim is to bring you a message that will help you live a better, more God-centered life. For more information, go to bcc.church. I was really excited about preaching this morning. Uh, you know, like when I was younger, I was like I, like I always played football. And when you're really like young, young, and you, they pick teams, you're like always like, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. You know, like you don't say it because then you like make yourself a fool. But you just hope deep down in your heart that you'll be picked by that guy and obviously not be picked the last because that says things as well. You know, it's, it's just what it is. So in the, in the way, when we're thinking about the I Am series, uh, obviously seven I Ams, uh, I was like deep, deep down in my heart, like, oh, I want, I want the door of the ship. I want the door of the ship. And, and obviously I didn't tell Pastor Mark. I didn't tell anyone. And then I received, we received the, the spreadsheet about the, the dates. And I'm preaching today, and I got the door of the ship. So I'm really, really excited. I was picked by God. That's really great. And if God picked me to preach on this, then it means that it will be something really good and it will speak to our hearts as well. When I think about Jesus, I, I often describe him as a friend. I describe him as my king, my savior, father, righteous judge. But I don't always think about him as my door. You know, like <laughs> I spend time with guys and Jesus, my door, thank you for, <laughs> like it's not, it's not something that I find natural to really sing good morning door. You know, it's a <laughs> good morning savior, good morning father, good morning friend, but not door. I was speaking with my friends and my sister said, did you know about the door? You know, it's like, that's have such great intimacy with the door and it's speaking to me. The door speaks to me. And, so I said, like, and because of that, I never really thought of, Take, to, take time to think about Jesus as the door, you know? So while I was preparing this message, I was like, I want to actually understand what it means for me today in this moment and for all of us, Jesus being the door of the ship. And the main, main core text is found in John, obviously, 10, 7 to 9. And it says, so Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the ship. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. So before, I want, before we look at what this means for us today, I want to give a bit of a context. And as a tip, always read everything in context because then it will enrich your knowledge and even your admiration of Jesus. So we're going to look from chapter 9. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Obviously, it will be quite long. But I want us to look at three main characters that we can see in chapter 9. And then we're going to see what this means for us while I will describe them as well. So the first thing is that Jesus was passing by. Chapter, uh, chapter 9 verse 1, Jesus was just passing by, coming from the temple. And all of a sudden he sees a blind man. And this man was, was uh, born blind. So he was, born, he was blind from birth. And, Jesus, and then the, the disciples look at Jesus, look at this man, and they're like, why is this guy blind? Has he sinned? Did his parents sin? Did whatever sin? It was all about sin and about... And Jesus is like, boys, that's not the point. The point, the point is that my father will display his works in this man and heal him. So then Jesus does what everyone else normally does. He just spits on the ground. 
<laughs> make some mud, goes to this mansion, pam, you're healed, you know? Maybe not slapping, but just places some mud and saliva on his eyes and then tells him, go to the pool of Siloam, wash yourself in there. That's from today in Jerusalem, for example. Wash yourself in that and then you will be healed. And that's, that's what happened. The man gets healed. And what, what I want to say is that the blind man, the man that is, the man that is born blind, it's us. It's you and me. Spiritually speaking, we are born blind. Because we do not see, we do not understand, we don't know where to go. We have, in many ways, no hope. Second Corinthians 4 says, if the, if the good news we preach is hidden behind the veil, it is hidden only from the people who are perishing. Satan, who is the god of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So what this says is that there is a, such a thing as a blind mind. And the reason people don't think about Jesus is because they are blind in their mind. And this concept of a blind mind really uh, made me really curious. I'm, I'm, I promised myself I'm going to study it in the next weeks to see what, what's the, this idea of a blind mind. But in many ways, when we were born, we were also born spiritually blind. We were not born perfect. Like, no one is born perfect. Apart from Jesus, we're just not perfect at all. So we're born like this man, and we have to actually rely on help from people outside of us. Think about this man. He, was, he had to eat what other people would give him because he could obviously not cook for himself, you know. He could not go shopping. He could not do all these things. So the food he was receiving, he, he just had to take it in. And I'm quite sure that sometimes it wasn't the best food. When we do Harvest Festival in September, October, every single year and we sort and we get the tins and everything. So, so most of you know, there are some items in those boxes that are like, are this from this world. They're so bad. It's so expired. It's like darker than everything. It's like, it's like just bad. And if people do this, and they know, because when we speak with schools, we tell them it's for poor people. It's because we as a church we want to bless the community, and they send us those things. Imagine how much more I can just assume that this man didn't always receive the best things. And maybe some other people gave him the leftovers and maybe abused him in terms of food. Give him just offer stuff. Apart from this, we know that he was also a beggar because it says in verse 8 of chapter 9 that when his friends saw that he was healed, they're like, isn't this the guy who used to beg? And we know that Jesus obviously found him at the temple as well. So when you think about someone being blind and a beggar, that totally says that he depends on people. He depends on outer sources for his well-being. And when, when I was thinking about this man being blind uh, and, and a beggar, I was like, I thought very bad of him, not because he's blind, but because he's a beggar. And growing up in Romania, we, I didn't really develop a very nice image of people who beg. Because I know and I've seen many, many people who abuse the generosity and heart of the people on the streets. So they'll just pretend they have a need. They'll just pretend they need something just to get money and get rich. It's happening. So because this was on my mind and reading about this, I was a couple of weeks ago in London, Houston, Going, uh, walking in front of Houston Station with a friend of mine who is a pastor. Actually, I met you before that, I remember, through trying to run up the stairs to catch the train. It was interesting. <laughs> and uh, I, I was with my friend. I, I meet with him uh, uh, once a month. His man was like a father figure to me, a pastor. And uh, 
I was just, it was the first time I saw him this year. So I was very excited to tell him everything that's been happening in my life. How, how nice the church is, how we're growing, how people are saved, baptized, all these things. And I was so caught up in this discussion and very excited. It's all, it was all about me and me and me. And then at some point he just stops and he looks down. There was a young woman uh, begging in front of the Houston station. And in that moment, I just felt rebuked by the Holy Spirit. It's like, Vlad, you're so caught up in your world, in your technical ministry stuff, in your life, that you forgot to look. And while we were sitting down, and my heart was like wrecked by the Holy Spirit and rebuked, uh, I know that this man always has a rule of giving one pound to anyone who asks. He, He just has this, which is like amazing, right? And he reaches to his wallet and takes out 20 pounds. That, that's a lot of money. It's like 20 times more than one pound. You know? And then I see, I see the money. And uh, he just gives it to, to this young woman. And I'm like, what if she doesn't? What, what if she's pretending? You know, and all these things. And he says to her, go buy yourself some shoes. And only then I looked at her feet and she didn't have shoes. Not even socks. So she's like, and that was a couple of weeks ago. So it's not necessarily summer, you know? And, she, and, that, and in that moment, I feel like, what if she's pretending and what if she's doing all these things? And the Holy Spirit said to me, so what? <laughs> it's none of your business, basically. You need to help and you need to remember to go back to the basics. And the thing is that being spiritually blind and needy, we must depend on the mercy of people outside of us. We have a need. I can imagine for years and years this man was dependent on all those around him, and I'm sure that some of them were abusing him. Or even more than this, you're sitting outside the temple. How many Christians were passing by, caught up in what they've done in the temple, and their rituals, and their technical stuff, and their systems, and their everything, that they forgot to look again at those who are in need. This means that in order for this man to benefit of two of the most basic needs in life, which is safety and nutrition, he had to rely on other people. He, was, he didn't choose where to sit. He was put and placed there. He didn't choose what to eat. He could just eat it and then see if it's good or not. And I love the ver- verse, verse 1 says, And as Jesus passed, he saw the blind man. As Jesus passed, he saw the blind man. Because Jesus sees. Jesus observes. Jesus is aware of our situations. It's not like he's caught up in his ministry. And let me tell you, Jesus had a ministry. <laughs> and he, he comes from chapter 8, where there were issues in the temple. They kick him out. And Jesus comes and just takes time for this man and sees him. And then in a very unusual ways, way, just obviously heals his eyes. And he, this man recovers his sight. And all the neighbors look at him and they're really, really amazed. They're like, isn't this the guy who used to beg? And I'll, t- I'll tell you one thing. When Jesus changes lives, it is observable. When someone tells me I found Jesus or I have a relationship with him, there is something I need to see. Because think about and make the parallel spiritual. This man was blind and now all of a sudden he could see. So he knew where he's going. He, was, he had a purpose. He had an intention. He knew what he was doing. Whereas before he was going all over the place or being guided by others. So it was obvious to his friends that he knows what he's doing. He no longer beg, but maybe get a job this time. Maybe learn a skill. Maybe sort of protect himself for the first time. Like when we, when we did the sleepover and many of us in this church, we actually slept in the cemetery at the parish church outside one night. 
So I, we just did it, and I took Savidas at 2 and 3 a.m. just to see how it feels. I was like, like shivering everywhere, like I, was, I couldn't control when I was speaking. That's how cold it was. But I said, I want to feel how it is. And I had a sleeping bag. Many don't have, so I was still in luxury. But the thing is that when I was speaking with, with homeless people, they were telling me that when in the night people just come and literally kick, kick them. Drunk, young people. And I was hearing them all over the place. So it's abusive. When you are in need, people will abuse you. That's what they always do. And yet, Jesus sees. He passed by and Jesus saw this man. And I remember the first time I I prayed to say, Jesus, I want to follow you for the rest of my life. I remember that feeling. And I'll encourage you to go back to that feeling. I was 13 years old. And I, I was at this conference. And the preacher is like, who wants to give their life to Jesus? And I'm like, I just ran in the front. I just kneeled down. I didn't even care who's praying for me. All I wanted was Jesus. All I wanted was God. And let me tell you, when I went back to the orphanage that evening, and many evenings after that, at 13, 14 years old, people were sitting around me, and I was telling them about Jesus. I didn't know what I was saying. I just wanted to show them that I love Jesus. It was easy for them to see that something changed in my life. I was never a bad boy when I was young, but there was still a change in my life. And when Jesus changes things, people see. Some will love it, some will hate it, but it is what it is. So this man gets healed. And they take him to the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were the religious people and his friends are very amazed. And of course, the first thing you do is to trust those who claim to be Christians or leaders or priests or whatever. So these people take him to the Pharisees. And this is, they are our second character this, this, evening, this afternoon, whatever it is. <laughs> so the blind man comes to the Pharisees and they question him about what happened. How did you get healed? And he's like, well, I was just sitting, and then this Jesus guy comes, places mud on my eyes, I go to the pool of Siloam, I wash, and I, I'm, I can see. Well, what, what else can I say? And, they, and then they're like, well, who do you say Jesus is? And he's like, I think he's a prophet, because obviously he didn't know too many things. Jesus is much more than that. But that's what he thought. And the, the Pharisees is like, well, but this guy is a sinner. Jesus is a sinner because he healed you on a Sabbath day. Because you know that God has a time one day a week when he doesn't care about you? Did you know that? That's not true, okay? So the, the Pharisees, they're like, he's a sinner. He did something on a Sabbath day. And they miss the point. And oftentimes we miss the point because we become professional Christians, professional churchgoers, pastors, preachers, whatever we are. We need to remember the basics that we care about the people. So this man uh, just says that Jesus healed me. And the, the Pharisees didn't believe him even then. So they call his parents. So mom and dad come, and the Pharisees are like, is this your son? And they, they look at him, and they're like, yeah, he looks like our son. And it's true, he was born blind. And they continue to ask his parents, uh, so what's about with this Jesus guy? I'm paraphrasing, but it's in, all in chapter 9, okay? Just believe me for now. <laughs> and, and then uh, they're asking, what's with this Jesus guy? And his parents basically step back, so well. I'll let him, because he says he's of age. That's exactly the quote. His parents said, he's of age. Ask him. So he's, he's mature. Ask him about Jesus. We're not getting into this. Why? Because there was a, a law in those times that anyone who would proclaim Jesus or speak of Jesus Christ, they would be excommunicated from the church. So his parents, loving him so much, they're like, it's your business. I'm just going to do my own thing. And I'll tell you what, when, when Jesus changes and heals us, parents see as well. They may not want to acknowledge it, but they can see it. They may not say it's God, but they can see that there's something that has changed in your life. 
everyone. Friends see it, parents see it, everyone can see it. So this guy doesn't just keep quiet about Jesus and the Pharisees excommunicate him. They say, you're, you're going, we'll kick you out of the synagogue of the temple. We're kicking you out of the church. And that was a huge thing. Why? Because from the Pharisees' perspective, this man would no longer have the opportunity to worship God. Because back in those times, you could only worship God in a physical building, which was a temple. So the, the Pharisees tell you, you're no longer coming. You, uh, will, you no longer have the option to worship God. You no longer have the opportunity to spend time with believers to be in God's presence. Because what the Pharisees were teaching in those times is that they were the ones who were the mediators between people and God. In other words, if I want my sins to be forgiven, I go to the priest. But if the priest tells me, you're no longer coming here, what's, what hope do I have? What hope do I have? And what these guys were doing is to also take authority to say that we are the door we provide access. It's all about us. If you want your sins to be forgiven, you run it through us. You know that that's why the, the Great Reformation started. The Pope and whoever saying, your sins will be forgiven through us. And they're like, no, it's not how it's happening. So these Pharisees, they're like, it's about us. If you want to have access in God's presence, it's us and us only. And because they thought they were the ones giving access, they also took authority to deny access. And that's why they cast him out. That's why they excommunicated him. You're no longer welcome here. And see what Jesus speaks about these guys. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you look out of the kingdom of heaven. For you do not go in yourselves. And then others going in, you stop them. Hypocrites. That's what Jesus calls the professional Christians who don't care about people, who only look at regulations and do's and don'ts and stuff. Hypocrites. That's what he calls them. Because they were stopping people from entering the kingdom of God. But even themselves, they weren't in the kingdom of God. How silly. Of course they're hypocrites. It's like a blind man leading another blind man and they know he knows what he's doing. Just because someone says they know what they're doing doesn't mean they're doing it. Just because someone quotes the scriptures, that doesn't make them Christians, okay? There are fruits we can check, but we'll not go into this. But Jesus says, hypocrites. <laughs> Religion demands perfection and rejects failure. Religion demands strength and rejects weakness. Religion demands competence and rejects the unable. But that's where Jesus kicks in now. Our third character, Jesus Christ. Verse 35 says, Jesus heard that they cast him out and having found him. Jesus heard what happened. Jesus healed him. He went to the pool. He washed. He was healed. And then Jesus sort of does his thing. But then Jesus hears. They kick him out. And having found him, Jesus intentionally pursued him, went after him because he wanted to find him. Because Jesus finds. Jesus is aware of each of your situations this morning. Jesus finds and Jesus looks for you intentionally. It wasn't a mistake. Jesus went back out of his way to find this man that he just healed. And that's when this Jesus is face to face to him and says, do you believe in the Son of God? And this man says, who is him that I believe? And Jesus is like, it's me. And he's like, yes, I believe. That's when he got saved. Because oftentimes many people, they just get healed and blessed by Jesus. I never see him face to face again. But we need to go back to Jesus. And when he saw him, I believe that you are the son of God. And his life was saved. Basically, Jesus says, come as you are. The guys, the Pharisees, they kick you out of the church because you don't do what, you, what they want you to do. 
but I'm welcoming you. Come, come as you are. I'll conform you to my image, I'll transform you. I'll make you better, I'll open your eyes, because you are born blind. You are a beggar, I'll meet your needs. But come, Jesus found him. Jesus was there. The Pharisees rejected the weak. They rejected those who didn't perfectly comply to all those rules. The only hope for a life with God was a life of perfection. But we know very well that's impossible for us. So what hope did this guy have? Jesus is our hope. He doesn't only give hope, he is hope. Our only hope. And Jesus faces the Pharisees, looks them in the eye, and says, I am the door. I give access, not you boys. It's not you, it's me. So the context of Jesus describing himself as the door is this. After all this mess, Jesus comes, finds him. The Pharisees are there and says, I am the door. Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. When Jesus says that the, those in front of me are thieves and robbers, who does he speak about? If not the Pharisees, those people that were rejecting the people. Jesus calls them hypocrites, thieves, and robbers. Because they're stopping people from entering the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, I am the door. He describes himself as the door of the ship. And that's what does this mean for us this morning. First of all, it means that Jesus protects. And Jesus developed the shepherd ship figure of speech in another way. If you imagine a shepherd with his flock, they're just going during the day and the sheep are being fed and pasture and all these things. But during the night, when the night comes in, obviously the shepherd with the sheep are like all over the place. They're, not, uh, they're in the middle of nowhere. So what the shepherd would do, and this is happening still today, and it was surely happening in those times, is in the middle of the field, the shepherd would find stones and will start to build an enclosure of the stones he'll find. He makes an enclosure as big as he needs for the sheep, and then he takes the sheep one by one and says, come in, because the night is coming, so come in so you are sort of protected there. But as you can see here, and it, this is true, there was no door. There was an entrance, but there is no door. Why is that? Because what the shepherds would do in those times, and this is true, is that they would just lie down in front of the entrance and just sit there. And if in the night a wolf would come, the shepherd would just smack it. <laughs> the shepherd would protect because he is the door. And if a, if a sheep feels like wandering away, the shepherd will again bring her back into the enclosure, into the sheepfold. So when Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep, that's what he says. You don't need a physical door. I am protecting you from wolves, from thieves, robbers, hypocrites, Pharisees, false teaching, false prophets, heresies, everything. I am protecting you, Jesus says. I am the door. And that's what Jesus that's what Jesus does for us. The sheep can go out and in in front of the enclosure. And if they're afraid, they can quickly just go back in. Because they know they're protected by the enclosure and by the shepherd himself. The sheepfold is designed to keep out those who would harm the sheep. And Jesus is their guardian. He refuses access to many. No, Jesus refuses access to many, including those like the Pharisees. These leaders destroy... But God sent Christ 
so that those who believe may not be destroyed. Many times when the shepherd go away from home, he was making the enclosure in the middle of nowhere. And there were wolves around for sure. They may have been thieves and robbers, but he would protect them. Because also it's the same with us. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Jesus is with us. We are in this world, and sometimes there's wolves, there's attacks, but we are not of this world. And this is our hope as well. How can the sheep be safe from wolves? It's when they're inside the enclosure. That's where safety happens. And the other thing is that Jesus protects us even from ourselves. How many times don't we just want to rebel? How many times don't we just want to, to run from God? We just want to sin. We just want to do our own thing. And even there in His grace, Jesus is there at the end and says, I'm not going to lose you. Read John 17 when you go home. The last prayer of Jesus, apart from down on the cross, when He prays to the Father, He says, I didn't lose any of those you have given me. Because Jesus protects he will always protect us. Second thing is that Jesus provides. He says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out. He'll go in and out of the enclosure and find pasture. Jesus provides all we need. And I have this absolute confidence that in this life, we'll always have everything we need. Not necessarily everything we want, but everything we need. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things, food and clothing, context, will be given to you. So my my absolute confidence is that as I live in this life, I will always have food, clothing, and shelter. I may not be rich. It's okay, I'll be rich in heaven. I may feel sick sometimes. It's okay, I'll not be sick in heaven. But I have this confidence that no matter where I am, in the middle of wolves or anywhere, Jesus is with me. And my joy is complete in him and because of him. Third one, and the band can join me. The third thing is that Jesus preserves. Jesus preserves life. I want to read a, a passage. You know, like Egypt, Israel is, is, is held in captivity for so many years. And then Mo, God sends Moses and says, I want to take my people out. And then Moses goes to Pharaoh, let my people go uh, and stuff like this. And then God sends lo- so, loads of plagues to like convince the Pharaoh to let his people go. But the, the last one is that Moses goes to the people and says, he summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go select an animal from the flock according to your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Take a cluster of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin and brush the lintel and the two doorposts with some of the blood. None of you may go out of the door of his house until the morning. When the Lord passes through to strike Egypt and sees the blood and the two doorposts, he will pass over the door and not let the destroyer enter your house to strike you. Jesus says, I'm preserving life. And he will not let the destroyer strike us. He will not even let death kill us. Because that's what they will do. That's what the enemy wants to do. Jesus preserves our lives forever and for eternity. That's why we don't fear death. That's why we are full of hope. That's why we are absolutely sure that neither life nor death can ever separate us from the love of God. What Jesus did is that he gave his own blood to keep us from eternal death. The blood on those doors, it's basically for us, it's 
Jesus' blood, who gave his own blood so that we may have life. And because of his blood, when death knocks on our door, they see the signature of Jesus in his own blood. So I'm not entering there. It's taken. You're safe. But the other amazing thing is that Jesus didn't only give his blood to save us, but he became the door which once shut, not even death can enter. He's a door that once shut, no one can kick it over because Jesus is there for us. He didn't only provide blood, he became the door, preserving our life on the inside, eternal life with him, escaping the eternal death of the ravenous wolves that are around us, the enemy, the destroyer. And Jesus is stronger than the destroyer. Jesus is stronger than death. That's why we have hope in him. When he says, I am the door, Basically, he says, I'm the one who protects, provides, and preserves. Come to me. It's all about Jesus. And he's the one who will always have our back. Let's have a song, and then I'll just come in a few seconds back. But think about this. Jesus is the door which once shut, not even death can enter. Amen.